Well, I invite you to turn with me to uh, uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, verse uh, 22. And we'll read uh, down to 31. Acts 17, verse 22. <clears throat> and Paul here is in, in Athens, a pagan city. Uh, all the Greek gods uh, are dominant in that city and uh, Paul is in the Areopagus uh, the kind of meeting place of all the philosophers and everybody and uh, verse 22 says so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said men of Athens I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of worship I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, again as we come to your words, we seek your help in understanding it. How we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to illuminate the pages that we're going to look at. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I'm going to launch a bit of an experiment today, uh, next few weeks. I'm going to launch into a a new series. Uh, We're going to look the next few weeks at uh, covenant theology. (laughs) And uh, I I don't often look at doctrinal topics. Our usual pattern of preaching here is to to work our way through books of the Bible um, and looking closely at the text. Uh, depending on the text, of course. Um, and, and that view that I have and, and the elders here have comes out of the conviction that, uh, that getting into God's word really matters. Uh, and so that's why we do so much of it in our church. We, we do it in the morning, we do it in Sunday evenings, we do it midweek as well, and, uh, because we think you need it. <laughs> uh, we really do. We believe you need it. And uh, you, you need to really... T- take the best of all the opportunities you have uh, to get the word of God into your heart and soul. 
because it's the Bible that feeds us. Uh, it's the Bible that shapes us and molds us under the power of the Holy Spirit. He helps us uh, and shapes us into Christ-likeness. And so we need as much of it as we can get. And people, I think, who, who don't give themselves to studying Scripture end up spiritually misshapen and stunted in their spiritual development. However, uh, having said all that about consecutive uh, Bible exposition, I'm very conscious that that approach can seem a bit like wading through the the undergrowth uh, of the forest, and you never get to see the forest (laughs) in all all its glory, if you like, to to zoom zoom out, if you like, uh, or to go up in a helicopter and take a bird's eye view, if you like, of of the forest. And and that's why I want to do a, a doctrinal topic today on covenant theology. Um, it's a term that may seem a bit threatening to us. For a start, theology sounds like some obscure, it belongs in some obscure department in academia. But really all it means is the study of God. And, uh, uh, and of course, every Christian wants to know more about God, I hope, I trust. Uh, so every Christian is a theologian. Everyone is a, a student of God and his works and his being and so on. Uh, and, if, and, and every Christian wants to know more. Uh, and if you don't want to know more, that probably means you're not a Christian. That's just one of the signs that maybe you're not yet a Christian. Uh, so Christians want to study God, so theology. Uh, but covenant is also a strange term too. And you maybe only ever come across that uh, in, in a legal setting. Maybe properties, uh, you buy a property and it has a restrictive covenant on it or something. Um, and that could be, could be anything, but... But I, I, want to, I want you to, I hope you can understand that uh, when we speak about covenant in the Bible, we're not talking about a strictly legal setting. Uh, but it, the Bible's presentation of covenant is infinitely more interesting than that, uh, more fascinating. Actually, covenant is what governs uh, God's relationship to mankind. Indeed, everything that happens in the Bible is shaped by God's covenant, God's covenant making. And covenant, if you like, is the underlying structure of scripture that causes all of it to hold together. Without covenant, there, it's, it doesn't make sense. Um, and so the relationship we have with God is a covenant relationship with God. And I'll say more about that as the weeks uh, go by. We'll get to a clear idea of what we, in detail, what we mean by covenant um, later. Probably we'll not get onto it until next week. But, uh, but at this point, it's, it's, worth, it's worth just asking, what kind of relationship can human beings have with God? Is it like your relationship to your boss at work? I mean, you may want to get along with your boss, but you don't want to live with your boss. <laughs> Is it like your relationship with your wife or husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Is it that kind of relationship? Is it like the relationship you have with your children? Or is it like the relationship you have with the government? All these relationships exist in our lives. But is there a relationship with God like anything like these things? Well, there's there's some aspects of those relationships that that mirror the relationship with God. They all have an element of truth about them. 
But in order to properly understand the nature of the relationship between God and human beings, uh, we first of all need to really understand who God is. And that's where I want to begin this morning, to think about who God is. And the first thing that we need to get clear in our minds, and point number one, who is God? The first thing we need to get clear in our minds when we think about God is to understand that the creator and creation are quite distinct. They're not the same thing. The creator is distinct from the creation and the universe we live in. Uh, In other words, God is not part of creation, nor is creation to be thought of as God. And this has been a, a common confusion throughout history. That sometimes people have thought that God needs creation. As though creation is like part of his body or something like that. And some have even gone to the extreme of saying that the universe itself is God. I I think, I have a vague recollection, I I probably need to check this, but uh, Sir Fred Hoyle, who was one of the great British astrophysicists of a couple of generations ago, um, who coined the term the Big Bang Theory, um, though he didn't discover it, if you like, but, but he, he, he seemed to believe that uh, actually the universe has intelligence and it's God. You know, the universe is God. If there is a God, that's what it is. But you see it in all kinds of philosophies today, uh, that we treat creation like it's, a, like it's a God to be worshipped. And all kinds of, uh, it turns up in all kinds of other ways. But of course, the Bible puts things differently. God exists and has always existed outside of creation. And the Bible begins, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. So it starts with God. God existed before there was a universe to, uh, to, uh, to, to be involved in. God was always there before there was ever a creation. And he is the only God. There is only one God, one true God, one creator, a God whose name is I Am, which really tells us that he is the eternally existent one. He is continually being. He is the eternal being. He is God. And the Bible says many things about about this God. Now I'm only going to mention a few of these things this, this morning. But the first thing it says is that he is spirit. Well, it's the first thing in my list. It's not the first thing in the Bible. But he is spirit. And that's what Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4, 24. Uh, she's, he says to her, God is spirit. Now what does it mean that he is Spirit. Well, I think, I think Jesus was using a word that people of his time would understand and know what that means. Sometimes we get confused about it. We watch too many bad movies and we think we know what spirits are. But in first century Judaism, uh, people had a very clear idea of what, what a spirit was, a spirit uh, the, the essence of a spirit is that it is a conscious thinking feeling being who does things, who wills to do things. So if you're conscious, 
And so God is conscious. God has a uh, uh, has has a knowledge. He has affections, and he does things. He acts. He is the supreme spirit. He is the 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 one true God. And we, we know that because we are spiritual beings made in his image. We'll come to that more in a minute. Uh, we're made in his image. And as it were, the breath of life is in us. And so we have consciousness and we think and we feel and we act. And in a sense, we are, that's one of the ways in which we are in the image of God. That's how we know we, we are spiritual beings. But if it's true of us, how much more so of God? So God has this characteristic as spirit, that he is conscious, thinking, feeling, and acting. There is, there is no limit to these things. He is absolute consciousness. He is the fount of all thought and wisdom and intelligence abounding to an infinite degree. He is an infinite well of affection and love. And he is clear in his will and unlimited in his power to act according to his will. And pulling this all together, he is absolute personality with all wisdom, love, and power. This is God. God is spirit. The Bible says another thing about uh, God. He is light. Uh, John the Apostle says that, uh, John, 1 John 1 verse 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And what that means is that he is he's the source of all truth. That there is no falsehood in him, there's no lies in him. He is the source of all truth and he is morally pure. All that he does is right and good and that is by definition because he is God. All that he does is right and, and good. God is light. Then a third thing it says, the Bible says, is that God is love. John says that a couple of times in 1 John 4, God is love. And I've hinted at that as we've talked about him as an infinite well of feeling and affection. But it's worth just pausing for a moment and asking yourself, how could God love before there was a creation? How could God be love if there's nothing outside of himself to love? How would he know how to love? Interesting question for other religions. There are various religions in the world that have a view of God as existing before creation and yet is utterly alone. And if that is what God actually is, alone and unipersonal, one person, it's hard to see how he could ever possibly know what love actually is. Because there's nothing to love. I guess we could imagine such a God contemplating himself. But in what sense could that be called outgoing love when you love only yourself? If you and I were utterly alone in the world with no one else to love, how could you ever learn what love actually is? You see the problem? That's a problem with other religions who don't see God the way Christians see God. 
And the Bible gives an answer to how God can be love. Because the Bible presents God as one being with absolute personality, but that absolute personality unfolding into three persons. So that he is three persons, one being. In other words, our God is a trinity of persons in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's here, in the relations between Father and Son and Spirit, that we see how God can be love. Because the Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And they're able to love each other in the Spirit. And so three persons are involved with each other within the Godhead. One being three persons. God, indeed, is love. And he is love whether there's a creation or not. You see, the Father eternally loves and admires the Son. And the Son eternally admires and loves the Father. And so God is this fountain of never-ending, true, righteous, and powerful love within himself. There's much more we could say about this, but to pull this all together, let's deal with a fourth statement about God. God is good. God is good. That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Uh, Why do you call me good? God alone is good. Only God is good. But he's good in his wisdom and knowledge. He's good in all his love. He is good in all his actions. He is infinitely good in himself. Well, that's just a sketch of God. It's a kind of bad stick man, you know, stick man sketch of God uh, that I've just given you. It doesn't do justice to him. But I hope you can get a sense of the kind of God we have. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable fountain of loving kindness that is God. Revealing himself in three persons. So that's one side of the relationship. Who is God? Let's look at the other side. Who is man? And the first thing to say is that God, of course, has created all things. Uh, He didn't create because he needed anything. Um, He is completely content with and in himself. He doesn't need creation to love. He didn't create create things because he was lonely and bored. Uh, And again, he has all fellowship within himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why did God create at all? Well, it has to be something to do with the outflow of his amazing love. As it were, God is, as God is described as being light, there is a sense in which all his attributes shine forth. And in his shining forth and the radiance of his being, he creates, it makes sense within that framework, he creates And he creates for the sake of his son. Because he loves his son. As you read John's prayer, uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17. um, You know, Jesus is praying to his father and you have that whole prayer laid out. 
uh, you see that whole purpose of the Son was to bring glory to the Father. And the whole purpose of the Father was to bring glory to the Son. Everything's for him, for, uh, for the Son and for the Father. And worked by the Holy Spirit. God made everything, therefore. And the crowning glory of creation is mankind. And you read about that in Genesis 1 and 2. Where people are made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in some way, human beings are to be a reflection of the nature and the character of God in the universe. And, that's, and it's at that point when God has made man, male and female, that God says the creation is very good. Previously it was just good, but now it's very good. Because he has made this image bearer called mankind. And we are made in the image of God. We are made uh, for him. And so we owe him our love and our obedience by virtue of being created by him. And we are... We're not actually independent of God. Many people like to think that they are independent of God, that God is somewhere somewhere else and I can just live my life by myself. But actually, our very existence depends on the continuing engagement of God in the universe. If we go back to Acts chapter 17 that we read earlier, listen to what Paul says. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, doesn't need anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might find their way towards him and find him, and yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him, here's a key point, in him we live and move and have our being. So there's a lot in that passage, but in him we live and move and have our being. We, we can't live without God. Nobody can live. No, even an unbeliever can't live without God. God gives them life. God gives everything. And your, your existence and my existence depends on the sustaining power, upholding power of God. The Bible tells us everything comes from him. And moment by moment we depend on him. And the tragedy of today is that people live as though he doesn't exist. And they think, and if they think he does exist, he doesn't matter. He's busy with something else. Human beings, you see, have now sinned against the, the, and rejected the authority of God and they've spurned his love and the hand that has given all things to them. What makes... And all of that makes it all the more remarkable what I'm about to say next. So we've thought about God as creator, uh, the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God. We've thought about ourselves as his creatures and sinful ones at that. But the next thing to think about is, and here uh, my heading is the condescension of God. The cond is a big word. The condescension of God. It's, it means coming down. God coming down. The condescension of God. You see, 
from everything I've said so far, you will get a sense of, I hope, of the distance that there is between the greatness of God and all his characteristics and qualities and attributes and us as his creatures. In one sense, there's a huge distance between his being and our being. It is massive. God is infinite in every conceivable dimension and characteristic. He does not have a created body. He is not like us. And yet, we are finite, and we live in time, temporal. And we are changeable and malleable. We, get old, we grow up and we get old and we die. We're, we're changeable. And so the distance between God and us is huge. How can that gap be bridged? And note here, I'm not talking about the gap that is caused by our sins that separate us. I'm talking about the gap that exists because he is the creator and we are the creatures. It's a kind of ontological gap. I'm full of big words today. (laughs) It's a huge gap. And the answer to that question, how does God bridge the gap? is that he condescends to us. He comes down to us. He comes down to his creatures. And so, you know, we sang earlier from Psalm 113. Let me, let me just quote to you. Uh, you might want to look at it. Psalm 113. Uh, it kind of says this. Um, the Lord is high above the earth. His glory far above the sky. Who else is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? Here's Gibbet. He is the one who stoops down low to look on heaven and earth below. See what it's saying? If you if you read the ESV, it's not it doesn't quite say that, but the verb that's used, the idea of coming down or looking down has this idea of bending towards, of stooping, of reaching down to a low place. And this is how God deals with the distance between God and us. That God comes down to human beings. It's more than simply that he looks from a great height. He actually comes down to us. So that he is then able to say in verse 7, he raises outcasts from the dust and from the ash heap lifts the poor. You know, in a, in a sense, without God, we are no different from the animals. God lifts up human beings as he comes down to them. Now, if God were not to do that, we couldn't be different from your dog or your cat. We couldn't. We would just be another creature in the universe. You'd be no different from your guinea pig. If God did not come down to you. But we know that we don't live like animals. You know, human beings don't live like animals, do they? Uh, those 
you might think that some people do, but uh, on the whole, people do not live like animals. Uh, people know that there's more to life than just getting your next food and your next comfortable bed to sleep in and all these kind of things. And procreating. We know there's more to life than all of these things. So how can people reach their true fulfillments and the fulfillment of potential uh, with all of the unanswered questions of our existence? That's answered by how God condescends to mankind generally. That he has made you to be in relationship with him. He has made you, made a relationship possible by coming to human beings. And remember, what I'm saying here is not, not, it's not the barrier caused by sin that I'm talking about here. It's the barrier between a creator and creature. That he comes down to us. And Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 7, verse, uh, paragraph 1, uh, tells us that he, he, wants, he does that because he wants to be our blessedness. I encourage you, uh, the, the midweek Bible study, to read chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. But in paragraph 1, it says that he, he intends to be our blessedness and reward. That as he condescends to come to us, he wants to be our blessedness and reward. To take us, in other words, from being little more than cats and dogs, to enjoying the fullness of fellowship with God. That's why you and I have been made to exist today. Now, so far, I've not mentioned covenant. You think, well, series of covenant theology, I haven't mentioned covenant except at the beginning. I haven't really mentioned what covenant is. But remember what we're doing here. We're, we're laying a foundation, if you like. We're kind of just clearing the ground a little bit before we start building the structure. And uh, uh, the best place to start with thinking about covenant is to think about the distance between God and us and what God does about that and how he condescends to come to us. And, uh, you know, if you want a kind of essential picture uh, or an idea of what covenant involves, um, God making covenant with us, it is that act of condescension of him coming down to us. And we'll get into this more in the next few weeks. This idea that God comes down, but it is a picture that you find constantly in the Bible. It's not as other religions and philosophies tell us that mankind is always trying to make, it, make their way to God without God's help. But rather, it's all about God's coming down to man. And so we see, for example, God's coming to Adam before the fall. You know, he, he comes into the garden and he walks with Adam. Or God's coming to Adam after the fall. And he still comes to Adam and speaks to him. Or God's coming to Noah and calling him to build that ark to save his family. Or God's coming to Abraham and plucking him out of Haran and taking him to a land that God would show him. Or God's coming to Moses when he was a baby in a basket. And God superintends his life. And then when he's old enough, God comes to him in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. God comes to him. 
Or God coming to a shepherd boy on the hills. David, who was minding his own business. And he calls David to be king of his people. And finally, God coming in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. To save a people from their sins. And to open up to them the fullness of blessing that can be found only through Jesus Christ who opened the way to that blessedness. You see how God comes down and he's always coming down to his people. He's always seeking to bridge the gap. Well, next time we're going to talk about God's covenant in more detail, but do you get the message that God's The God revealed in the Bible is a God who's always willing to to stoop, to humble himself, to reach down to our level. And that today, if you want to know this God and come into a meaningful relationship with him, you need to look, all you need to do is look and see where he has come down. And today he has come down in Jesus Christ. And you need to go to him and find that blessedness and reward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the blessed God. That indeed you come down to your people. You come down to all human beings. You're the God of covenant. And we thank you that we can enter into that covenant of grace and mercy that overcomes our sins as well as overcoming the the gap between creator and creature. Lord, come and bless us, we pray. Help us to find Jesus and to find that blessedness and reward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.